seven years old. It's our, it's our birthday. And um, seven years ago today, there was a group of us that gathered in a living room and began to talk about what it was going to mean for <clears throat> Celebration Church to exist. And uh, uh, at that point, this, this moment was just a dream. The concept of us eventually buying a building and all of that, was, it, was, it was just a dream and a hope. And for all of you who weren't there in that living room, then you were on our hearts. And guess what? A bunch of people who are not here with us right now are on our hearts right now. God's desire to reach out and to expand his family and to gr- for people to grow in a knowledge of who he is and trust him is what this is all about. Now, I have... Uh, We're about to start a series called Selfdom, and I will explain all that in a minute, but I thought it would be a great thing to to kick it off is for Cutie and I to get a a selfie with you right here, and then seven years later, we can look back and go back over this with all of the folks who aren't here right now. So, babe, I'm going to turn my back on you. You're supposed to never do this. So we there we go. I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> My arm is longer. My arm is longer. Come on, get taller, woman. All right, here we go. All right. There we go. Hey, y'all didn't smile. One, two, three. All right. So there's our seven-year selfie. We are super excited about what God is doing in the life of Celebration Church, and honestly, your lives. That's what this is about. It's not about the seats or the building or any of the stuff, and that's why we can meet in a movie theater, and it doesn't matter, because what matters is what God is doing in your life and in my life, and that's where, <clears throat> that's where change really happens. We're going to take a quick moment. This is the part of the service where those that came prepared to give, we're going to do that. So this is our first offering of the year. I'm excited to be able to kick off and do that. We always look at a passage of Scripture because we believe the Bible speaks to our lives and points for us to live on the highest level of life we possibly can. And 2 Corinthians 9.8 says that God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And I think so many of us need a reminder of this right now. Because so many times at this point in the year, we don't feel like we're abounding. We don't feel like that, that things, a lot of times things feel extra tight. All of the extra stuff from Christmas feels like it's trying to sneak into our January. And, and we're thinking budgets. We're thinking getting more fiscally responsible. We're thinking debt reduction. We're thinking all sorts of different things. And as we look at that, all of a sudden, all we look at what's not there. And at the beginning of the year, I say <clears throat> we want to have a heart towards stewardship. We want to have a heart towards that. But let's, let's get our minds on God. And let's think about how good he is and how abundant he is. And let's, let's let God and his goodness direct us in our lives. Why? Because he wants us to be able to abound to be able to do every good work. I pray that you're able to step into a greater generosity in 2016 than you ever have and that, you're, that all of a sudden your whole life 
is, is better because of it. I pray that you're able to see needs and move and act and be able to be bold and courageous in this area. I'm excited about the impact that you're going to have on your friends and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers because of your generosity. The impact the Celebration Church is going to have on this community because of your generosity. And it's why it's because our God is an amazing, loving, <coughs> supplying God. And so as we do that, let's just shift our hearts, let's shift our minds, and let's have it geared towards the goodness and the greatness of our God. Gentlemen, you can go ahead and pass those along. If you have prayer requests, be sure and put those in. Um, if, you're, uh, if there's something really big that you're praying for and believing God for in 2016, man, let us know. We want to be a part of that and pray with us. That's what a church family is all about. And Lauren, in the announcements, uh, <clears throat> mentioned it next week, next Sunday, the 10th. We're going to start a period of 21 days of taking some time <clears throat> together during our week to be able to spend that time more focused on God and, and allowing Him to speak into our lives. That's the whole purpose of fasting. Fasting is not the spiritual equivalent of holding your breath till you get your way, okay? It's not, I'm going to go without food so that God pays attention to me. That all of a sudden, the fact that he, he's, he's not hearing my words, maybe he'll pay attention to the fact that my stomach's growling a little bit, and he's finally going to give in to what I want. <clears throat> the whole purpose of fasting is to be able to take part of your life. Most of us eat on a regular basis, Okay, and take part of our life and say, I'm, instead of spending that time and that energy and those resources on putting food in my mouth, then I'm going to take that meal, I'm going to take that time, and I'm going to put that towards spending time with God. I'm going to put more of his word into my heart, and I'm going to put more prayer over my family and do those different things. We're going to have a prayer guide for you that we'll, you'll be able to have a paper version of it next week, access it online. But I'm very excited about this. Some of you, this may be the first time you've ever brought a spiritual discipline, something on purpose like this into your life. I'm excited for you. Maybe it's not food for you. Some of you, whenever you get hungry, you get hangry. And it gets ugly for those around you. So maybe you need to take some, some TV time away or, or some, some other sort of time, and, but take a good chunk of your regular life, something that takes time from your every day. Take that out of your day every day and spend that chunk of time with God and allow him to begin to, to stir in you. I, this is just dovetails with this series so perfectly. So with that said, let's go ahead and get into our notes. We've got some stuff to cover today. Well, like I said, we're starting a new series. We're going to spend all month on this called Selfdom. And as your notes, I laid this out. We're going to look at this concept every week. It says, God is growing us from the inside out. That's what this is about. Our time of communion reminded us that this is about what God is doing in us, not what we're trying to do for him. And when he's growing us from the inside out, more and more of our selfdom reflects his kingdom. And you're like, Brandon, did you make that word up? No, I did not. It's a real word. You find it in the dictionary. In fact, in dictionary.com says that it's the realm of self or selfhood. 
You have a realm. You rule a realm. You have a place that you are the authority. You rule the realm. You know, that's something that every kid growing up wants and dreams about being the, the prince or the princess or the king or, the, or whatnot and having a realm that they are the rulers of. In fact, the Clark kids, whenever I got my gift from them uh, this year, it was from the Babylonians, which you're like, what does that mean? Well, we made up a story years and years ago that there was this island called Babalu. And at that time, we only had five children. And so we had, and I was super creative, and I've made up the amazing names of, and the, since there was the island of Babalu, well, then the people that lived on it were the Babylonians. And then we had Kenaloni, Brookaloni, Westaloni, Lindaloni, Carceloni, you get my lack of creativity. And, um, and so we have my, my kids who are the main actors in this, in this realm. And they're the five rulers of the island of Babalu. And of course, you, to do this, you're going to have to give them some, some special powers and some special stuff. And every island has, and every realm is going to have some sort of fighting and some sort of stuff. And Keenan always liked to dig. So I created Keenaloni with this concept of this, this shovel that was double ended and it was sharpened. And he could like fight with the shovel and like dig super fast. And he had this like elaborate mansion underground that he dug, and, and uh, that, uh, <clears throat> that Brooke Aloney had these amazing skills that she could walk up walls, and she could have super far eyesight, and had all of these skills. Uh, West Aloney had a bow staff, and was able to build really, really fast out of twigs, and vines, and stuff, and he would just fabricate stuff really fast, and, and uh, Lyndon, my little uh, fashionista. Uh, she's always loved clothes, so I made it where she could knit really quick, and she would have a new outfit every day. What princess doesn't want a new outfit every day? And so and she had an elaborate tent that she had made, and of course, when she fought, she had these awesome knitting needles that she would fight with, and, and uh, so this was this big world. And Carson... Carson could speak to the animals, and when it was battle time, well, all the animals, he was the general of them, and they were his army, and, and so we had this whole world, and the kids loved it when it was time for a new installment of the Babylonian story, because here was this concept that they had a realm, that they were the ones in charge. They were the ones that saved the day. They were the ones that dealt with the problems. They were the ones that had all these different things. And it echoes within each of us. That's why we love these concepts and we love these different stories, whether it's Star Wars or, or the, the, <clears throat> the Lord of the Rings or any of these different things. Well, all of a sudden, just what somebody seemed like a forgotten regular individual all of a sudden has this huge epic responsibility that impacts everyone everywhere it just echoes it just strikes a chord in our very dna and the reason for that is because you're built that way there was an entire realm created it was called earth god meticulously put it together 
God put some other pieces in it, some fish and some, some different things in it before it was fully completed. And whether you take in a, a literal seven-day, 24-hour cycle of creation or these seven periods or however you embrace the truth in Genesis that God is the creator and he did it in seven days, that the earth did not pop out on its own, that we have a creator God who did it on purpose and placed man in this realm and gave him responsibility it echoes with us and you and I still have this place within each of us that we rule it's our selfdom and this time of the year we always tend to reflect and we give our own state of the us address to ourselves And we take a good look in the mirror and we get on the scale and we make a decision of whether or not that's passable and whether or not we want to see some some homeland improvement in our selfdom. Whether we want to shed a few pounds or put on a few pounds or however it is that it's going to go. We check the treasury, crack open that checkbook, get online and we decide how the state of our finances are going and how we want to see that shaped out, we look at our international policy, how we deal with the other selfdoms we run into, the other people in our lives, and see are we at war with everyone or do we have pretty good foreign policy happening here? How are things going on with the other selfdoms in our world? And we begin to want to make some adjustments And as we look at that, all of it is going to come back and we're going to find this place where we typically, if we're honest, we go, this change needs to start here. It needs to start here. So as we're looking at this selfdom series, this is not a self-help series. This is a let's learn how to let God have access to our lives, and let him rule through us. We don't lose authority. In fact, the more we give up, the more we give authority to God, the more authority we gain. You want to see your, your authority diminish, you keep it all to yourself. But the more you give up to God, the more you gain So we're going to be looking at this concept. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. That's our paradigm. That's the window we're looking through, okay? We're looking through this paradigm of God's mercy. God loves you. God has poured out his grace on you. God wants you around. God has great things for you. All of that is the paradigm of God's mercy. We're going to look at this through that lens, through God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So many times we can think that that's, we make a sacrifice to gain something. When we're looking at it through God's mercy, we recognize that we've already received. We've already received, so this sacrifice is to simply let God have his way. Let that fullness of what that mercy has purchased for us have its full effect in our lives. You can either decide to fight gravity 
Or you can let gravity have its way in your life and learn to work within gravity. We grow up in that realm and we work with it and deal with it all the time. When we become new creations, we have to learn how to operate in this realm of the kingdom and let his way be our way. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You want to know what real worship is? It's letting everything that the mercy of God has provided for you take effect in you. Nothing brings God glory more than that. Nothing makes him look bigger than letting his work fully manifest in you. Nothing does. Nothing does. Letting you be the new creation God created you to be. Nothing brings him glory more than that. So what does that begin to look like? It says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Immediately says, this is what it doesn't look like. All of the stuff you see in the natural realm, everybody trying to live their life away from God, that's kind of a picture of what it doesn't look like. Don't do that. Don't be conformed into that, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's let God begin to change the way you see and think. Then you will be able to test or to show out and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What God's amazing plans for you. Let's let those show out. See, the old self, it disappears as we fully embrace the new self made in God's nature. You want to have all of these different things. Maybe right now you look at your finances and you say, man, that's the part of me that's really out of control. I would not say that stewardship defines that part of my life. Okay? Well, most of us would think, well, we really need to, to sit there and we need to get some, some good old take-it-by-the-reins self-control and I need to force this and get this into it. You know what the real answer to, and we're going to look at what self-control really looks like. The real answer to this is allowing the new self to begin to come out. The reason things are out of control and the fine is because your old self is wreaking havoc there. The new self won't do that. You're like, well, as soon as I begin to let the new self, the new self wants to be generous, and the old self is messed stuff up so much, we don't have room to be generous. So I can't let the new self in here, because I let the new self in here, and he wants to start giving stuff away. He's going to jack it up even more. I'm just going to try to push the old self down and just quit spending and quit being, or maybe you're a miser. Maybe you're sitting on stacks of money, and you just don't spend it. You just sit there and you think about it all the time. You're fretful. You check the stock market every day. Make sure your portfolio is okay. That's still being trapped. It's still being trapped. The newness is what changes everything. Romans 6, 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. The old self got dealt with. That was what we remembered with our communion today during worship. This is the old self got dealt with. We're new creations. 
The old one tries to come up and poke its head up, but that's not us anymore. We're the new self. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24 says, That however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That old self still wants things. And it's going to try to come in here. But to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Like, well, Brandon, what in the world does this even look like? This all sounds fine and good. Old self, new self. I got a new self in Christ. All I deal with is my old self. My old self wants a donut. My old self wants a fourth donut. My old self wants to hit the snooze and skip the workout. My old self wants to go buy the newest, latest, and greatest and don't care what card we charge it to. My old self says, you treat me like that and you're about to get the ugly side of me. My old self says, I've had enough of my boss. My old self says, my spouse is on a thin wire and we're going to see if 2016 keeps us together. My old self says, you're on my last nerve. That's the one we run into all the time. You're like, this new self sounds so good. I want that new one. I want the new one that's got the patience, and I want the new one that that is in there and knows how to do things right and, and is loving. I want that new self. But every time I go to do something, the old one shows up. So how does this look? Well, so many times we want it to be like the good old Carrie Underwood song, Jesus, take the wheel. Just let go. Go. No. And this car still needs to be steered. Like, Jesus, um, take the wheel. We're running to the bar ditch. Jesus, take the wheel. All right, I guess it's me. There is this place. There's this place. And so many times this word gets a horrible bad rap. But it's this word called obedience. Obedience. It's doing what has been asked, what's been put out there. And obedience can easily find its way and you feel like, well, that's the club of the law. And it's not. Obedience is trust. Obedience is when you're sitting there and you only do it out of fear of punishment, that's the law. But if I sit there and I ask Brooklyn to sit there, come here. I'm not, you can sit there. And she just does it, and that just because she's my daughter and she trusts me, and she stands up and she obeys, she's not sitting there going, man, if, if dad doesn't do that, when he's going to take the keys to my car and he's going to do this and that. and No, she just, just it's, it's trust. But she still responds to what I said. And it's not in your notes, but we quickly want to look at John 2, 7 and 8. And Jesus' very first miracle shows us how this is done. Okay? 
His very first miracle shows us how, he's done, how this is done. Jesus is at a party. He's at a wedding. And they knew how to throw weddings. We do this like little two-hour thing in West Texas, you know, where you get the little, you get the wedding thing done. You go and you, you have some, you know, some, some mints and some nuts and you eat some cake and you throw rice and it's over. No, this was days and days of partying. Everybody got together and it was days and days. Everybody didn't go to work. It was a huge event, and there was lots of wine, and it wasn't the stuff that we had in our cup. This, uh, the stuff at these parties had kick, had alcohol in it. People could get drunk, okay? And so, the, but one of the worst things that could possibly happen is you throw a big party, and you invite all these people, and then you're not able to provide for them. Hospitality was such a huge thing, and it was a disgrace to a family to run out. And this party got rocking, and maybe too many people showed up. We don't know why, but all of a sudden, partway through it, they run out of wine. And Jesus' mama comes over to him, and she knows who he is. She says, hey, they've run out of wine. She, he says, why are you bothering me with this? It's, my time's not come. It's not, I'm not ready to step out into my ministry yet. And she, like a mom, ignores him and tells the servants and says, do whatever he tells you to do. So Jesus rolled with it and honored his mother in that moment. And he tells the servants. He didn't sit there and pull out a wad of bills and goes, all right, here's about a grand to go buy out the wine store, go to H-E-B and clean them out and come back. Jesus does something crazy. And he says, go fill the water pots full of water. Water? They didn't badmouth him anything. So here we are. Verse 7 says, And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them, and I love this, to the brim. So many times we want to say how full is full. Is that full enough? I dumped enough water in here. Um, I would say that you get a, some, Jesus asked you to do, just kind of go all the way with it. Just kind of go all the way. It's all right. These guys kind of went all the way. They filled it all the way up. There's probably some water on the floor after this. It was full to the brim. So it's full to the brim, and they go, hey, it's full. Can't get any more full than that. And then Jesus tells them, draw some of it out and take it to the master of the banquet. So now I've got to go get a cup of water. I know it's water because I'm the servant that filled it with water. It's clear. And I'm supposed to go over here, and I'm going to take it to the guy who's in charge of it all and let him have a sip of it. He's like, do you think they're wasted enough on the first wine that they'll know this is water? He takes it to them. The master of the ceremony sips it, and immediately the shame is completely thwarted in that household. And the master of the ceremony looks at that household and says, most people serve the best wine first, and then everybody's well drunk, we all know what that means. Then you pull out the cheap stuff, 
because nobody cares anymore. He said, but you have saved the best for last. This is amazing. When did it turn to wine? We don't know. Did it turn when he scooped? Did it turn three steps into it? Did it turn when it hit the guy's lips? We don't know when it became wine, but it became wine. And here at the very end of verse 8, we see what it means. It says, Then he told them, Now draw out some water and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. They did so. That was it. That was their part. They didn't have to do anything else. They were asked to fill a jar and scoop some water out and carry it to the guy to sip it. That was it. And the miraculous change that needed to take place, God took care of that himself. But could they fill a pot? Yes. Could they scoop it out? Yes. And they did so. As we are getting and going to look at what it means to take our selfdoms, our little kingdoms, and allow it, the newness of who we are, to be revealed through what God has done in our lives, that's the simple piece of it. Is we just trust Him enough to just do what He asks. He says, God, I've got this tension. I've got this tension between me and somebody else. Forgive them. But you don't know what they've done. Well, you do because you know everything, but I don't know if you really know. Forgive. I don't feel like forgiving. What well, didn't look like wine in the jug either. But they went with it. Love them. Well, they're not lovable. Guess what? Most people aren't. Love them. I'm telling you people, this will change the world. It will for sure change your world. It will without a doubt change your world. As all of a sudden you simply have that moment where you say, not my will, but yours be done. That's when all of the, everything begins to shift. Paul again speaks to the Colossians and talks to them about the new self and says, Do not lie to each other since you've taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Well, wait a second. You said I've put off the old self and I've put on the new self and in the middle of that you're telling me I need to quit lying? I thought that I'd put up, if I'd put on the new self, then I already wasn't lying. No, there's these processes. Live in that new self. The old self tries to pop up sometimes. Allow the newness of the new you to live. Why? It's being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. As you begin to understand who Jesus is, as you begin to understand who God is, and the impact of that, the knowledge of all that has been done for you and in you, all of a sudden the rest of that goes away. 
Why do we lie? Self-preservation? To impress people? Just because we can? Why do we lie? It's all old self-related. When we begin to understand we're fully accepted in who he is, well, I don't have to make myself look better because God loves me. And if you'll really get to know me, you will eventually will too. So guess what? I don't have to lie and put on anymore. Self-preservation, I'm already fully forgiven and fully right with God. Why do I need to try to preserve something over here? All of a sudden, lying is unnecessary. As, we are, as our minds and our, we're renewed on who we are and our station with him. As we wrap up, I quickly want to hit this concept of self-control. Self-control creates a life-giving life. Most of us know that our own lives are torn down by our own hands. Very rarely are our lives destroyed by someone else. For a moment or two, someone else can rip. But you're the only one that's around you 24-7 all the time. And you're the one that wreaks havoc in your own life. So you need to be able to be on God's side of this as he's trying to bring life into you and partner with him. That's what this selfdom deal is about, is getting on God's side in this deal for you. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Well, that sounds like a new self kind of thing. Joy. I want a lot of that. Peace. You mean no anxiety, no worrying? Patience. You mean I can put up with people? Kindness. My natural response is just to be nice. Goodness. I don't have false motives in every little thing I do. Faithfulness. I'm simply there in people's lives and I'm faithful just because it's who I am. Gentleness and self-control. You see, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's what the Holy Spirit grows in you. Self-control isn't this peace that Jesus says, I've done all of this for you, now you better get control of your junk. You better use some self-control. No, it's the fruit of the Spirit. If we're not allowing the Spirit to control, we're out of control. The only self-control comes is when we let the Holy Spirit begin to really lead and guide in our lives. Titus, <clears throat> Paul's letter to his, his uh, disciple Titus, he's telling Titus that for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-control. The grace of God teaches us to say no. I thought the grace of God was needed when I wouldn't say no. <laughs> we always think that the grace is something we got to go get a hold of when we've blown it on our own. When we kind of take the reins back, we blow it, now I need a little more grace. No, the grace is what we live by. Grace is what empowers us to live the, the way God designed us to live. It's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and, worldly, and our worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. And lastly, self-control enables us to live in our sweet spot. 
I've already shared with y'all multiple times, I'm not much of an athlete, but tried tried golfing before. It's athletic, whether you believe that or not, you know I'm golfers. It's a very athletic, a lot of body mechanics involved in golf. <laughs> and uh, so you, take, you want to see how ugly golf can be, get an uncoordinated person trying to hit a golf ball, and you see something funny. And uh, so my dad would always tell me, because, you know, as a guy, I'd want to just club it, just hit it, and it was just terrible. The harder I'd try to hit it, the less it would go. One, th- one time, I think it went backwards. It was terrible. And, um, and so, but he kept telling me, just let the club do the work. Let the club do the work. That makes no sense, Dad. There you go. This one calls for about a nine iron. I'm letting the club do the work, Dad. Not much happening there. No, it's that thing where we sit there allow, and instead of putting all my trust and all of my muscles and all of that, if I would just sit there and allow it to come in contact with that ball, somehow, this chunk of metal designed like that, this ball would just go. And it felt so smooth and so effortless, and then I'd get so excited and want to just do it real hard, and, and that's why I'm not a golfer. And But like three times I hit like one perfect, and it was amazing. And it was like, oh, my gosh, there it goes. That looks like Tiger Woods. <laughs> it's amazing. And you look at that club, and you're like, is that magic? Did Gandalf give me this? This is awesome. And it's not. It's what it was designed to do. As we're stepping into this selfdom, this is not about you trying harder. It's not. This isn't about all of the different pieces of you doubling down on all your efforts. This is about you allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you, daring to let his way be your way, stepping out, and if he says, fill the pot up with water, you fill it up. Scoop it out, you scoop it out. And you let the newness of the Spirit of God in your life do the heavy lifting. And I'm telling you, you are going to see life change like you have never seen before. You're going to let the grace of God have its work in your life. And all of a sudden, stuff you've been banging your head on for years and years and years is going to melt away. Not because of what you've done and some hard effort you've pressed against it. Why? Because as soon as you let up, it's over but because of what the Spirit of God has done in you. 2 Peter 1 says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they grow. They'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive, in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Sadly, that's where a lot of people are. They're ineffective and unproductive. This new life isn't showing up. But if, <clears throat> but if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and doesn't try hard enough. Nope. He's nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Folks, it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that is the baseline for it all. 
If we're not letting these things grow, it's we forget how forgiven we are. We forget how loved we are. And we get into this other thing, but when we let the love of God show up in our lives, then all of a sudden, these things begin to grow. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control grow. 2 Timothy 1. God didn't give us a spirit that makes us weak and fearful. He gave us a spirit, his spirit, that gives us power and love, and it helps us to control ourselves, helps us to walk in the spirit and the fruit of self-control. We've said this multiple times, every time we've dealt with this issue of self-control, whatever series it's been in, and we always come back to this concept, that self-control is to give God control. You understand that you have a realm of authority and you invite God's authority into that. And you allow him to begin to move through your life. That is what this whole series is about, is letting him move into our lives. So let's choose to allow heaven's control to grow in our lives, in our selfdoms. Let's see everything get changed. See the kingdom of God lived out in you and I. It's not something that's far away. It's near. It's near. It's right here. Because you and I are new creations. I want to quickly create a quiet moment. And if you're here, right here, and you're like, Brandon, I get it. I get it. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. It's to let his work count for me. What Jesus did. His sacrifice, his death, it counts for me. And I believe it. And that's when you step over from death to life. You just believe it. And if that's you here this morning, and you believe that, you've placed your faith in it, you've done it. I'm about to ask you to identify as that, and I'm about to ask you to pray. But those moments, those next two moments, aren't the step over. It's your belief in what he's done that's the step over. So now with that said, I want you, if that was you, I want you to raise your hand. Awesome. I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Awesome. Believers, speak it out with them. 